It is great to have each of you with us this morning. And I'm going to ask you to turn in God's Word to uh, the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. Each week, um, we praise God in songs and in prayers. And, and uh, then I come and I share from God's Word. And it is our great desire to hear from God's Word this morning. We've just finished a series out of the book of Acts uh, celebrating what the early church did in response to what transpired uh, this Easter Sunday. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he is alive and well, and his followers knew that truth to be uh, real and true, and as a result, they went over the whole known world spreading the good news of Jesus Christ to people who needed to hear it, and some gave up their lives willing to die for the truth of what we celebrate this morning. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 wants to assure uh, the people in the church of Corinth that Jesus was alive and that he had promised that he would die, be buried, and raised from the grave. And the great hope that we can have as a result of that. This morning I want to talk on the subject of hope. We need hope in this world like never before. And Jesus brings hope. When we trust in Jesus and we believe in Jesus, the story and the truths of Easter allow hope to spring eternal in our lives. If you don't have a Bible this morning, grab that pew Bible in the pew rack in front of you or in the chairs. Grab the Bible that's nearest to you and turn to page 961. Now, I'm going to read our passage and ask God's blessing on our time in the Word this morning. And just as a point of reference, we will get to 1 Corinthians 15 at the end of the message. And so hang there and we'll pick it up here in a couple moments. But let me go ahead and read from this great passage of Scripture and then I'll ask for a time of prayer. Here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins, he was buried in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep or have died. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, that's the apostle Paul speaking, for I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace towards me was not in vain. Let's stop there and let's ask for God's blessing on our time. Father God, we ask now that you would uh, bless not only the reading of your word, but now the preaching of it, the listening to it, Lord, and most importantly, the application, that we would take what we learned today and we would be changed by it. Lord, I thank you for the great celebration that not only here, but all over the world today is celebrating the truth that you are the risen Savior and Lord. We thank you for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are worshiping all over this great world that you've created. Lord, I also pray now for the terrorist attacks that took place overnight during Easter services in churches in Asia. Lord, the last report I heard was more than 150 dead and 700 injured. We know we live in a world of evil, in a world of pain, and we need the hope like never before. But we do pray for comfort and care for those that were most affected by these terrorist attacks. 
Lord, I think of the other churches in our area other than our own campuses that are preaching and proclaiming the good news of Christ. I think in our own community, Lord, churches like Calvary West and Christ Community and Harvest Bible Chapel, and I pray, Lord, that they would have outstanding Easter services this morning. I pray that your word would be taught with passion and that great numbers will come to hear the hope of Easter. So be with their pastors, be with their people, Lord, that one day we will see the whole Fox Valley area know the good news of Jesus Christ and experience once and for all the great hope that is found in you. Now, Lord, as we turn our attention to your word, I ask that we would receive it with open hearts and open ears. Change us like never before. In Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen. Well, this morning, like I said, I want to speak on the subject of hope. And this week, a a recent survey and study was done with regards to the religiosity of Americans. And the findings made headlines this week. You probably heard about them, whether in print or uh, through the news media. But the study was done and it asked the question, what type of religious affiliation do Americans have? And, And the results said that the largest group of Americans Americans identifying with regards to a particular denomination or group of religion uh, found out that atheism for the first time in American history is the dominant, if you will, faith community in our country. For the first time, one in four Americans say they have no belief in God. That number now has edged out Catholicism and evangelicalism, which is our uh, stream, if you will, of uh, Christianity, as being the dominant churches in America. One in four people in America say there is no God. Now, the amazing story, and that got all the headlines, that people are attending church less and less like never before, and I'm so thankful that Village Bible Church continues to grow, and we're seeing people come to know Jesus. We've not experienced that trend, and we pray for God to continue that amidst this unchurched generation. But the study went on to talk about how was the emotional and spiritual well-being of us as Americans. And that's where I want to focus in a little more, because the headline is, less people are going to church. But what we learned is that with religiosity getting smaller and smaller, being diminished, Social ills are starting to grow and grow. The survey asked some questions about how emotionally people were handling their struggles in life. Here's what the study said. One in five Americans now suffer from anxiety. One in six Americans take antidepressants, which is a 65% surge over the last five years. The problem is particularly acute among younger Americans, it goes on to say. Depression diagnosis amongst adults is up 33% in 10 years. For millennials, it's up 47%. For teenagers, it's up 63%. Here's the saddest figure that they came up with. Suicide rates among American teenagers have increased by 70% in the last five years. 70% in one voice. This major survey shows us that while our hope in the church is is being lost, and who can uh, dispute that? The church has not always done a very good job at being the hands and feet of Jesus. And we've got a lot of work to make sure our walk matches our talk. But with one voice, America also said that they are living without hope. Without hope. And as a pastor, I see it each and every day. 
a lack of hope with regards to our marriages, a lack of hope with regards to parenting and our families, a lack of hope with regards to job insecurities, a lack of hope because of medical issues and concerns. We are a people who lack hope. I wonder if this is the hopelessness that the first Easter celebrants felt on Good Friday. They had come to know Jesus. They had come to experience Jesus, first in his teaching. At 30 years of age, Jesus, who had spent all of his time in the area of Nazareth and Galilee and Judea, had lived a pretty quiet life, but at 30, he took on the role of being an itinerant preacher, a rabbi. And he went about the countryside preaching and teaching the kingdom of God. And little by little, crowds began to form. They had never heard anybody speak like Jesus had spoken. The words and the truth and the peace and the hope that Jesus gave seemed to create a new day and a new dawn that was awakened. His miracles that he did confounded even his harshest critics. He fed the 5,000 with a couple loaves and fishes. He calmed stormy waters. He healed the ones who were broken and handicapped. He set free individuals from demon possession and he even raised the dead. This Jesus was someone that everybody needed to get in touch with because he was the one who brought hope. That is until he started talking about dying. And he began to share little by little with his disciples that he was going to have to die. He would be handed over, and as a result, he would go to the cross. Now it seemed like everything was going just according to plan. On Palm Sunday, he enters into Jerusalem. Amidst all kinds of political uh, wrangling that was taking place in Jerusalem at the day, Jerusalem stopped and in one accord announced his coming in as the triumphal entry where they announced, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. But that would only last for just a couple days. That crowd would turn. And when they would see Jesus in the hands of the Roman occupiers, they would turn their love and affection towards Jesus into hatred and disdain. And when Jesus was standing with Pilate in handcuffs, no doubt, in chains, they began to announce, crucify him, crucify him. And then Good Friday commenced. Jesus would be taken to a place called Golgotha, and he'd be hung on a cross, a criminal's death, where he would breathe his last breath. And in that moment, he would say, it is finished. And his lifeless body would be taken off of the cross. And he would be put into a rich man's tomb where he would lay for two days. Hopelessness. This Jesus who brought so much hope and so much opportunity now was dead. And with it, all the hope of any change going with it. But Jesus wouldn't remain in the grave. He would be resurrected from the dead just as he promised. And because of that great truth, you and I can have hope this morning. Amen is right. Not a wishy-washy hope. Not a hope of some positive vibes with regards to the future. But a hope that the Apostle Paul says in the book of Romans is a hope that does not disappoint. It fulfills its calling. It fulfills its promises to you. And that hope is found in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Let me share a little bit about this hope this morning. First of all, hope is critical to our lives. If you're following along in that insert in your bulletin, write that down. Hope is critical to life. 
We need hope. It has been said that man can live about 40 days without food, about three days without water, about eight minutes without air, but for only one second without hope. Martin Selig, uh, a psychologist, said the following about hope. It reduces feelings of hopelessness and helplessness. It boosts happiness, reduces stress, improves our quality of life. Whether we want to be honest about it or not, we are in need of hope. Now, what does hope do? Write this down. It does three things for us. First of all, hope gives us the ability to dream. It gives us the ability to dream. In Proverbs 10.28, we are told the following. It says in Proverbs 10.28, the hope of the righteous brings joy. The hope of the righteous brings joy. In Proverbs 13.12, it tells us, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But when dreams come true at last, there is life and joy. We need hope in our lives. This week for our family, the Badal family, there are three significant events that take place. The first one has to do with our youngest son. Eleven years ago, Luke, our third and youngest of the family, was born this week. And we're so very thankful for the joy and the blessing that he is. And I remember eleven years ago holding that little guy in my arms and dreaming about the life he was going to live, the accomplishments that he was going to have, the ways he was going to make him and his, or, uh, me and his mother so very proud and he has been so very faithful to do so we love Luke and our family but hope is what allows us to dream it gives us the ability to know that the future is bright but hope does something else for us hope encourages us in our despair Psalm 43 5 says why are you downcast O my soul and why are you in turmoil within me hope in God. This week was also a time of great despair in our family. You see, four years ago, uh, this last March, my wife, through a routine set of medical examinations, was found to be diagnosed with a rare form of breast cancer. And as a result, here this week, she would undergo, four years ago, uh, a very, very difficult surgery, the first of many surgeries that would take place to eradicate the cancer. And I remember sitting for the long hours of that surgery, filled with anxiety. What if this happens? And what if that happens? Concerned about the worst case scenario of the things that could transpire, number one, while my wife was under, under anesthesia and surgery, and what the long-term effects could be if they were to come back and tell us it was terminal. It was in that moment, and through the guidance and the care of friends and family, where I would be reminded of hope. You see, hope keeps us from going off the cliff. Hope tells us that amidst all despair and all trouble, that we have got someone we can believe in, that we've got a future to look forward to. Well, I'm so very thankful to tell you this morning that not only is Amanda cancer-free, but she is healthy and as vibrant and as beautiful as she's always been. And we are thankful for that. But even if that had not happened, we have a hope in a God who loves us. We have a hope in a God who controls everything. We have hope in a God who knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And we can rely and we can trust in him and find hope amidst despair. Finally, hope allows us to believe things can be different. 
Proverbs 23:18 says the following, Surely there is a future, and your hope will not be cut off. No matter how bad your circumstances are, no matter how bad the situation you face is, there can always be hope because of God. The story is told of an art gallery in London where in it hangs a portrait of a chess game. You see it on the screens behind me. The portrait's called Checkmate. On one side of the chessboard is the devil, full of laughter and glee. His hand is poised, ready to make what seemingly is the final move. He seems to have the person on the other side of the chessboard checkmated. And that individual on the other side is a man, a young man, who's frightened. Sweat drips from his forehead, if you could see it more clearly from where you're sitting. And he has tears pouring from his eyes. Well, one day a chess champion entered into that London art gallery and he saw this photo or this portrait and he became fixated upon it. He looked at the game and and recognized where the game was at and true to form, it surely seemed from a normal view of the board that he was checkmated. And the idea here is the young man was about to lose his soul. And so he began to look. Can I help out this young man? Is there any way with my expertise as a chess champion that I can help him? And for hours he looked and played the board trying to figure out is there an opportunity where seemingly defeat is there that there could be victory. At the very end of the night, before the art museum would close, a great exclamation was heard throughout the enormous building and the chess champion exclaimed, I found it, there's an answer. You are not defeated, you can have victory. It is only a couple moves away. This morning, some of you feel checkmated. Some of you feel like the devil has won this thing called life and you've given up on hope. But hope in Jesus reminds us that there is one who came and defeated death and sin and defeated the works of the devil. And we may feel bested by the devil, but thanks be to God and his son, Jesus Christ, that you and I can have victory. And that victory was won that Easter Sunday. Amen. Life can be different. We don't have to live in peril. We don't have to live in the isolation of our own struggles. You see, no doubt, that is how the first characters and those individuals who experienced the story of Easter felt. The devil had won. All hope was lost. But I want you to know, hope in God and hope in the resurrection gives us a new opportunity. Randy Alcorn, a Christian author, put it this way, there are no helpless situations. There are only men who have grown hopeless about them. If Jesus is by your side, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So why is it then that so many people live without hope? If hope is available through the truth of Easter and and the empty grave, why is it that so many struggle with hope this Easter? It's because hope is a choice that we must make. Hope is a choice that we must make. We all have to make a decision. Are we going to believe in the hope of Easter? 
Are we going to allow that truth to spring eternal in our lives? Or will we seek to help ourselves and figure it out on ourselves? You see, the history of the Easter story tells us that many people chose their own pursuits and their own desires and their own ability to fix their problem than to turn to Jesus. Let me give you a couple examples. First of all, we see the crowd chose the political instead of the spiritual. Remember I said that that on uh, Palm Sunday, the Sunday before Easter, Jesus would enter into the city of Jerusalem. And people were excited. He was the long-awaited Messiah. The one who was going to right every wrong. The one who was going to come and vanquish the Romans and defeat them once and for all. And Jewish nation would be a great nation once and for all. And they saw Jesus as a political leader. But Jesus never came to uh, dig deep into politics. No, in fact, Jesus came to give us life and to give it to us in all abundance. So when Jesus finds himself in chains, standing before that same crowd, under the custody of Pilate, the crowd changes. And they said, you're not living up to your political promises. Jesus never gave such promises. But they saw redemption and they saw hope through the vehicle and mechanism of politics. Can I tell you here in America, we find ourselves in that? We think with every election cycle, that new politician, that new uh, individual, we're starting to see it already. He's the one who will bring hope. He's the one who will bring the change. He's the one who will make our country great again. And we buy into this and we believe these things to be true. And each time, every four years, we are saddened as one politician comes and one goes that the same chaos and the same trouble and the same disappointment comes. Politics won't bring hope that we need. And the crowd teaches us that. How about Judas? Judas teaches us that uh, it is more uh, about, excuse me, it's more about uh, the things of treasure than it is about truth. Judas had walked and talked with Jesus. He had experienced what it was like to know Jesus firsthand. He was up close and personal. He heard his teachings. He had seen his miracles. He had experienced his love and the sincerity of relationship that Jesus gave to all that were near him. But instead of believing in Jesus and hoping in Jesus and trusting in him, Judas turned to treasure. For 30 pieces of silver, Judas would betray Jesus. And that would show where his heart was. That would show where his hope was. He believed that money would fix his problems. He believed that money was the answer to this thing called life. And sadly, many of us today find ourselves in the same spot. We have hope as long as there's lots of money in the bank account. We have hope as long as we have all that we think we need. But sadly, just as Judas would learn, that hope in possessions... And in treasure is no hope at all. Judas would return those 30 pieces of silver out of great guilt, recognizing that greed is not the answer. And he would go and end his life. Hope is not found in the accumulation of things in this world. It's found in Jesus Christ alone. Judas pursued treasure over truth. Finally, we see the disciples chose fear over faith. Fear 
over faith. Now, these guys didn't leave Jesus for money. In fact, they believed in Jesus. They proclaimed Jesus. They said they were willing to die with Jesus. But when Jesus was arrested, and when he was taken away, they fled. The circumstances of their lives were so difficult and so hard, instead of grabbing a hold of Jesus and the truth of Jesus... They ran away. Now you say, well, wait a minute. They didn't know the future. I want to remind you of what Luke 9.22 says. Luke 9.22 says that Jesus would uh, be betrayed, that he'd be handed over to the religious leaders, that he'd be hung on the cross, and that he would die, and on the third day he would rise from the grave. Jesus told them well before Good Friday, well before Palm Sunday, and well before Easter Sunday, that all that was going to take place would come to fruition. They could have hoped in that. They could have believed in that. But personified in the works of of Peter, they would run away and they would say, I don't know him. I've never met him. I'm not with him. And out of fear, instead of faith, they hoped in the wrong thing. That is until they would see Jesus alive on Easter Sunday. I know some of you right now are experiencing very difficult times. And it is very easy in our humanness to despair and to choose fear and to choose human effort over God, a God we have not seen and a God that seemingly, when we look through human eyes, doesn't seem all too concerned about it. But the story of Easter reminds us that God is not done yet. That though we are hurting on Friday, it's just a matter of a couple days when hope springs eternal when Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. Judas chose treasure over truth. The crowd chose the political over the spiritual. And the disciples chose fear instead of faith. Well, where are we to find this hope? Notice finally this hope is centered on the resurrection. It's centered on the resurrection. You see, while all hope was lost on Friday, and while we have this time of silence all day Saturday, the agonizing moments of wondering, will Jesus come through? Will he do as he says? It sure seems like it's not going to happen. And then on that Easter morning, as the women go to attend to the body, the body is not found. The tomb is empty. The stone has been rolled away. The disciples come and recognize that. And that evening, Jesus appears to them in the upper room behind locked door. And he says, see, what I said that was going to take place has become a fulfillment. Jesus Christ was raised from the dead. That brings us to 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul speaks as one who is an eyewitness of the risen Savior and Lord. He was fighting Christ. He was fighting the church. He was, in fact, on a mission to put people into prison to harass and hurt those who believed in Christ as their Savior. And on that journey to Damascus, we are told he met the risen Lord and Savior and his life would never be the same again. It would never be the same Again, we need that type of hope. Another man who recently, uh, some years ago, his life was changed was Charles Colson. Charles Colson was an advisor uh, to President Nixon. He was one of those who was indicted, tried, and convicted of crimes during Watergate. He would meet Jesus and come to faith in him while in prison. And this is what he says about hope. He says, where is the hope? 
I meet millions who tell me they feel demoralized by the decay around us. Where is the hope? The hope of each, that each of us has is not in who governs us or what laws are passed or what great things we do as a nation. Our hope is in the power of God working through the hearts of people. That's where our hope is in this country and that's where our hope is in life. We need the hope of Easter. Well, it's centered on the cross. And Paul says the following, why do we need hope? Why do we need Jesus? Because he addresses, notice this, he addresses our greatest problem. He addresses our greatest problem. Notice verse 3 in our text of 1 Corinthians 15. For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. You see, brothers and sisters, our greatest sin, or our greatest problem is sin. Since the Garden of Eden, man has chosen to go his own way. The prophet Isaiah says, we are like sheep, we've all gone astray, each going our own way. And whether we've done it in big ways or small ways, we've had an opportunity to relate to the God of the universe, but instead of following Him and believing in Him and hoping in Him, we hoped in other things. We created gods of our own making and pursued our own prerogatives and our cares. And because of that, we have missed the great opportunity of being in relationship with God. And the Bible says as a result of that, we're hostile towards God. We're enemies of God and we're lost and dead without him. And Jesus comes while we were sinners and demonstrates his love for us by going to the cross. We can have hope in him. <clears throat> and the hope that he gives addresses our problem of sin. But notice Paul goes on and he says of the, of the resurrection, not only is the resurrection addressing our problem, but it affirms the prophecies of Scripture. Notice now twice it says that all of this was done in accordance with the Scriptures. Now you say, I can hope in Jesus, but a man crucified and killed only to be raised again? That's too far-fetched. That, that couldn't have happened. But since the Garden of Eden, God has been promising that one would come and He would reconcile people back to God and give them hope and a bright future. Well, if you were to look at the different prophecies that were given years, hundreds of years before that Easter event took place. In fact, think of it this way. The events of Good Friday through Easter Sunday, there are 25 specific prophecies in the Old Testament regarding how Jesus would live, how he would die, and specific elements to his crucifixion, even before crucifixion had ever been invented by the Romans. Well, you say, well, that can't be all that hard. 25 prophecies about one person and one event. To put it into mathematical terms, for one person to fulfill all those prophecies would have to be 1 to 10 to the 21st power. Now, I barely got through algebra, so I have no idea what that means. So I'm thankful that mathematicians said, okay, dummy, we'll help you out with this. And to illustrate that number of that Jesus Fulfilling all of these prophecies, you would have to blanket the entire landmass of earth with silver dollars 120 feet high. It's a lot of silver dollars. Second, you'd have to mark one of those dollars and randomly bury it. Third, you'd ask a person to travel all over the earth and make one selection of one coin. And when they selected it, by the way, being blindfolded, 
they would select the mark dollar over the trillions of other dollars that are stacked 120 feet high across the globe. That is the mathematical equation that tells us that Jesus Christ is the true Son of God. You see, it takes more faith to believe in things that we see with our own eyes than it is to believe the truth and the historicity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. It's affirmed in the prophecies of Scripture. But notice finally, the resurrection is available to all. It's available to all. It says here that more than 500 people, his disciples and others, all came to know and see and experience the truth of the resurrection. But notice Paul says it's a grace that's given to him. He has the ability, though he was a sinner, though he persecuted the church, twice he says it's the grace of God, God's unmerited favor that allows us to experience the hope of Easter. So let me ask you this morning, have you experienced that hope? Have you once and for all given your life and said, God, I'm done trying to live it on my own, and I'm going to now live it with you in mind. I'm now going to place my faith and my trust and my hope in you and you alone. In John 10.10, Jesus said, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you might have life and have it in all abundance. Are you living an abundant life or are you trying to figure it out on your, on your own, by yourself? Jesus came to give us hope. Basil Hume put it this way, Easter is given to us so that we might find life in Jesus Christ and hope in this world. I'm not sure what brought you this morning, but I think you've been brought here by divine appointment. And God wants to ask every one of us, young and old, male and female, to ask the question, do I have hope? And Jesus stands there and he says, I am here. All who are weary and all who are heavy laden, come to me and you will find hope and you will find rest and you'll find peace and you'll find joy in the arms of the loving Savior who went to the cross on our behalf but did not remain on the cross but went to a grave. But he did not remain in the grave because on the third great and glorious day, our Savior, our Lord, Jesus Christ was resurrected from from the grave and he now sits at the right hand of the father and draws all people to himself and he begs the question of you this morning where is your hope and my humble word to you this morning it is it can only be found in the person and work of Jesus Christ praise be to God amen amen so where's your hope this morning if you're here today and have never come to that point, I would ask before you leave this place, come talk to me. Go to the Welcome Center. Go to the person sitting next to you and say, help me fully realize the hope I can have in Christ Jesus. Because there, Jesus will meet you. And he will give you hope, not only for today, but for all eternity. Hope springs eternal when we give ourselves to Christ.